Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today is episode 246. We're going to be interviewing Jamie. How you doing, Jamie? Doing wonderful, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be here on this Sunday afternoon doing this with you. I appreciate you having me. All right, let's dive into your story. I start off the same on every episode. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. All right. I grew up in a small town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, it's Gastonia, and not a lot to do there. Um, had a good family, though. Great upbringing. I was raised by my mom, my grandmother, my grandfather. My dad wasn't ever around growing up, but I didn't miss him. You know, like I had so much love from them that it made up for it. Um, went to a Christian school. Uh, do you know where dad went? Um, just, I hear different things. I know him now. So I hear different sides of the story. Um, they're still not on good terms as far as my mother's side and then him. So I hear, he, he tells me one thing, they tell me another thing and I just kind of, you know, just roll with it. You know, they, they, that's their business, I, I guess, like whatever they went through back then. Like it just really didn't, I feel like it didn't affect me too much negatively, you know, not that's him not thing. being there. Yeah. Yeah. They, like I said, they made up for it with all the love they had to give. Um, I was an only child, um, only grandchild. So you can imagine that all the attention and everything's I was spoiled basically, you know, I, I, there's nothing that I could ask for. You know, I had everything that I ever wanted. Growing up, um, like I said, I went to Christian school, uh, kindergarten through uh, sixth grade, and then I went to public school. My mom, she kind of dated around a lot, um, mostly mostly good men up until I got into high school, but I'll leave that for a little bit later. But um, yeah, went to Christian school, went to public school after sixth grade, and started hanging out with different types of people, getting involved in uh, like hanging out on the weekends, um, smoking a little weed, you know, having a drink here and there, maybe smoking cigarettes, like just all fun, you know, hanging out with the guys. How old was it the first time you tried anything like a cigarette or weed? Um, I was 13. But uh, my mom, she was she was super cool. Like, turns out uh, a year later when I was 14, I found out on a beach trip with her and a couple of my friends that she smoked marijuana also. So that was something that we kind of started doing together. Um, How old were you was, when you discovered that? Like 14. 14. Okay. Yeah. My mom was awesome though. Like she was, she was always present, you know, she was always there, but uh, I felt looking back on it, maybe she was too much of my friend as opposed to my mom, I guess you would say, you know? So we would hang out, you know, I'd have friends over, uh, we'd smoke weed together. She would smoke weed with me and my friends. Like, I know that sounds terrible to say, but I mean, she just, she was cool. You know, she was the cool mom. Uh, everybody loved coming to my house. Clearly uh, just had a good time. You know, that was all that I knew was having a good time. So um, eventually when I was about 15, 16 years old, I started experimenting with pills, like um, different, like Xanax, Klonopin, you know, painkillers, stuff like that. Who introduced you to that stuff? Um, Actually, I, this sounds awful too, but my mom, she had a prescription uh, for Xanax. She, in, two, in the year 2000, I was uh, about 13 years old and she was dating this guy and he was just, he was fresh out of prison and my mom was about to leave him and he didn't really have anything. He had two kids of his own that he didn't even know, wasn't a part of their lives and he killed himself 
in our apartment when this was uh, on Millennium Day, actually, of the year 2000. So he shot himself. My mom was like, I wasn't in the house. I was over at an all-night skate. So my mom, I called her to come pick me up, and she said, hey, you need to get a ride home with somebody. Dale, like the fiancé or former fiancé, she said that he shot himself in the house. So she was super traumatized by that. And she that's when she got on a bunch of different types of prescriptions and everything and just kind of people don't think yeah. about the little stuff like when someone does something like that, you have to clean it up afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Like she had a, <clears throat> how traumatizing that is. There's actually companies that come in their client their crime scene cleanup companies where obviously if something like that happens and you're too mentally not prepared to clean that mess up, you could call someone to do it. And they'll charge you a lot for it, apparently. <clears throat> Say that again? I said, and apparently they charge a lot for that also. Oh, do they? I can only imagine. It's got to be a tough yeah. job. Well, she had, she had a good friend at the time. Uh, she actually cleaned up the the entire mess herself. I was I was like, wow, that's hardcore, you know? <laughs> so she stayed and, and she cleaned up the mess. But anyway, we she just kind of never got past it. She was always self-medicating, or not self-medicating, but medicating for her prescriptions. And things were just getting a little, a little tight for us as far because it was just me and her at this point, and she, things were getting a little tight. And she was asking me like if I knew people that, you know, would purchase her Xanaxes and things like that. You know, since I mean we were all hanging out at the house smoking weed and everything, and I mean I had I had heard of other people using drugs like that, and I had probably brought it up to her, but she asked me if I knew anybody that would purchase them, and I was like. You know, I can ask. So from from a very young age, like, I feel like I was introduced to kind of like a hustle, if you will. You know, like saying, I'm going to sell you this drug. And she told me she would give me some in return or give me some money or whatever, you know, things like that. So that that mentality kind of stuck with me. And then uh, me and another friend, we decided to start selling the, because like, we were just smoking weed and doing a little pills at this point we start selling weed on top of it. You know, we'll start selling weed to the people that come over to the house. They can hang out and smoke weed with us. Like, it wasn't ever about trying to make money. It was just kind of, you know, we were cool. We were the cool guys that had the weed and the place to chill and party and things like that, you know? So we did that, and it was just fun for a while. And then I started catching, you know, I got a simple possession charge here and there. I got a couple of DUIs. Um I lost my, I was going to, I was playing baseball since I was a kid, playing baseball all through high school. Uh, My 11th grade year, I got caught with weed at school in my vehicle because I had skipped school. You know, things were just kind of falling apart by the time I was like 16, 17 years old. You know, I was doing the pills, smoking weed, drinking, getting caught with it, getting caught drinking and driving. You know, I lost my license for a year, like before I was even 18. So, Things were getting pretty rough. Um, my mom, she was dating somebody else at this point who was still in prison. And she would go, like, he had the home pass, I guess you would say, where he would get to come home on the weekends. And he, my mom would go pick him up from the prison that was local to us and take him back to his house with his kids and his family. And I would just be chilling on the weekends, mainly by myself. So it was party central. You know, everybody was at my house partying all the time. And my mom didn't care. She would leave me money. And be like, here, here's some money if you want to go do whatever, you know. So that's kind of how my high school years went. 
Um, I didn't graduate my 12th grade year. when I, By the time I started my 12th grade year, I didn't have enough credits to even be a senior. So um, through the first semester, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to drop out and go to the local college and get my high school diploma there, which didn't happen for, I don't know, another two years. So uh, that was the last semester of my high school year. Um, I, I had turned 18 that January. My mom said that, uh, hey, we're going to move. And there's a small house, like a, it's like a little mill house is what they call it down here. Uh, she said, there's a little mill house that your grandma owns. Um, she's going to get central AC and heat put in that. And you're going to live there. Um, you just need to pay the the utility bills, which the utility bills was like, I don't know, 150 to $200 a month. You know, so I didn't have any rent. I had a house to myself. I was partying, uh, you know, just too much freedom, I feel like, at that time in my life. So I had no responsibilities. I was working at restaurants, you know, waiting tables to make a little bit of money that I was just using to pay for gas and drugs. So whatever I wasn't getting from the restaurant, as far as money goes, I was supplementing by trying to sell drugs to use drugs for free, not really to make money, you know? So. Yeah, that's how it starts off with a lot of people. Same thing with me when I was younger. Somebody just said to me one time when I was buying weed for people, he goes, dude, why I just spot you an ounce? You sell half of it, make back your money, and you get a half an ounce for free, you know, basically? Yeah, absolutely. Bag it up in 20 bags. Yep. But, um, so that was, <clears throat> I moved into that, that house in 2005, and then by 2007, I had got a couple more charges, like, some simple possession of, of pills this time and then another DWI and uh, got out of that because my family, my grandparents, my grandfather, and my mom, like they were always bailing me out of trouble and, you know, just enabling me like hardcore. So just kept doing the same thing and things started getting worse and I started using other drugs like ecstasy and, you know, Coke and so on and so forth. And, what age uh, did you start those drugs? Um, that would be more close to probably about 20, 21, I would say. Those, and then we were going to the club all the time. And, you know, going to the rape clubs was a big thing at that time in my life. And then uh, my, I met my dad around the age of 20, right? Him and his brother moved back here from Colorado. His brother was dying. He had like hep C that had turned into like liver cancer. And he was prescribed a bunch of like, um, like painkillers like Dilaudid and Oxycontin and stuff. So I was getting that from him for super cheap at this point. Like that was that was basically my relationship with my uncle that I had never known was just buying drugs from him for cheap and you know getting getting more addicted to like a pain pill style like lifestyle. And that went on for a few years. Uh, me and my dad tried to have a relationship, but it was more like. I tried to work with him. He was a plumber and I would try to help him out and work. And we kind of butted heads sometimes because we would drink together. I mean, he would drink all day while he was at work. You know, it surprised me. He was an alcoholic like that bad. He would drink all day while he was working. He worked for himself so he could do that. Um, for lunch, we would go to a bar and we would drink together for lunch. By the end of the day, you know, like he would either be crying about him not being there for me my entire life or he would be pissed off and mad because I wasn't the way 
like I didn't turn out the way he wanted me to be, you know? So that was, that was our dynamic for a while. And then my uncle passed away. I couldn't get drugs for cheap. Like the, as far as the painkillers go, like I couldn't get them for cheap anymore. The prices had went up so high that like I was, I was thinking about using heroin, but instead I went to a methadone clinic and that was, um, 2013 that I went to the methadone clinic, went there for two and a half years and I used it like I was supposed to. I didn't take any other drugs with it. You know, I didn't drink with it. I held down a job for three years. Like that was the longest I'd ever held down a job to like, you know, consistently. So I worked at the same place for three years. I was uh, bartending at a Bricks Wood Fire Pizza and did really good there. Um, had a good group of friends going and I got off the methadone and that was 2016. Yeah, about 2016. I got off the methadone, like dosed down off of it properly and everything. And then I was like, well, hey, I can, I can start having a drink now, you know, like. I'll be all right. So I started having a drink and so you went into recovery pretty early at 16. As far as methadone. Oh no, no. I that was 2013. Oh, 2013. Yeah. So I was uh what I've been 26, 26. No, no, you're good. You're good. I know it's kind of all over the place, but um the methadone helped a lot. So I stayed on the methadone from 2013. So like around 2016, then I started going out drinking, you know, hanging out with friends again, like people that weren't good for me. And then I discovered, uh, crystal meth and I didn't mean to stumble upon that, but it was kind of a, we were out at the bar and we were trying to, we were drunk. So we were trying to get something to stay up, if you will, you know, so we thought we were grabbing some Molly or something like that. And turns out it's crystal meth and me and a buddy, uh, he really liked it and I liked it, but he got into to selling it. So I was buying it from him and, you know, going to work and, you know, just, I was really just working all the time and staying high, you know, that was, that was my thing and making money. And he said, why don't you start selling this with me? And I'm like, and I don't really know anybody that, that does that kind of drug, you know, like crystal meth was kind of you know it was like dirty frowned upon it wasn't like you know fun and upbeat like going out and doing cocaine or molly or something like that so the crystal meth was kind of just like uh you know i don't know about that and he kept saying come on help me out so i did eventually you know i gave in and started throwing in with him and getting some and talking to people at the bar that i worked at i was still working at the bricks wood fire pizza this was 2016 2000 into 2017 um it, it kind of blew up, man, to be honest with you. Like, I got a lot of customers from the bar. Um, I was out running the streets all night long, pound meth, selling it to people. Um, I did that for part of 2016 into 2017. My friend, not the one that started me, but another one of my friends, he went to prison and I met someone else that was selling it at the time. And Went down there, picked it up multiple times per week, and I finally got busted coming back across state lines, uh, trafficking crystal meth. So I got, this was 2017, I got two trafficking charges, um, a sell and deliver to a, like a informant or whatnot, and two possession with intent charges. And 
that was me coming back across from South Carolina into North Carolina. So I went to jail. Um, the people that I was doing business with helped me out. And I got out of jail like 13 days later. And I was going to go work with my dad and stay away from it and just pay my bondsman off because I, I didn't have enough to pay the bondsman. I didn't have enough to pay the lawyer that I needed. And I was looking at a mandatory minimum prison sentence of like 70 to 93 months, you know, just for the trafficking. If I play guilty to one trafficking charge. So um, I was working with my dad. He wasn't really, he was sober. He had finally gotten sober <clears throat> and me and him were working together and I just wasn't making enough money. And I went right back to doing the same thing that I was doing, even though I knew that, you know, they were probably watching me, which they were. And I did the same thing and kept selling from uh, like the middle of September until it was like October the 27th. So um, I pulled up in my house one evening and got arrested immediately when pulling up to my house and then taken up to my apartment and, and the apartment searched as well. And I caught more charges. So went to, I went to jail from October 27th. 2017 until May 30th, 2018. So I was there for like seven or seven and a half months. And I had a public defender that was awesome for me. And I found out about this place called Trosa. And that's in Durham, North Carolina. It's a two year um, inpatient type program. It's like a kind of like a work based program. So um, I wrote a letter to them. I found out through another one of the inmates in the county jail. So I wrote them a letter and I was like, hey, this is where I'm at in my life. Basically, everything that I've told you. And they told me that they would give me a chance if I could if I could get my charges taken care of, I can come there. And, and so I gave it to my public defender and he talked to the DA and I had never been in any kind of like felony trouble before. So they got my trafficking charges reduced down to attempt to traffic charges, which doesn't carry a mandatory minimum prison sentence in North Carolina for those. So they told me, they said, well, we're going to let you go to this program and we'll suspend your sentence. And if you complete the program, then you'll be done with it. And I was like, awesome. You know, so that's that's what I did. Um, I got out of jail on May 30th. I've been clean, you know, in jail the whole time. Didn't plan on using any drugs or anything i got out of jail on may 30th and that same very night like i was using meth in my at my mom's house like in her like spare room you know and then i took her car and didn't come home for the next three days and my grandparents and her was like look you know if you don't go we're gonna call the probation officer and then have them come pick you up and take you back to jail and you can go to prison and i was like you know all right so i i, I left I took their car home and then we drove to Durham the next day and um, I've, I've been clean. I got there on June 5th, 2018, which was my clean day and has been since. So. Good for you. How was um, how did rehab for you? That's a long time, two two years. I know. This, that's why I was, I was running, man. I was running for myself. I was running from that. I was like two years of my life. It's insane. But I mean, it is the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, it really was. I left that morning to go up there. I hadn't been sleeping three days, like, and I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous. And I mean, I showed up at this, this place that looked like a, like a community college campus, which was surprising. It was, it was nice, you know? 
So that was, that was, that kind of settled me down. I went in, watched the video. Don't remember what the video was about. Like you know, like I said, I hadn't been sleeping a couple of days. I was still high. And then the after that, then like I, I got some sleep. And then the next day, like that's when the first day of like my whole new life started. Like I, they just, it was the best thing, man. I don't know if you want to hear about the actual program itself, but it it was it's the best program that I've ever heard of. Like it's not your typical, like there's not uh it's not like a clinic, I guess you would say. You don't sit around and do any kind of meetings or anything all day. Like you don't learn about drugs. Like you just go there and, and you learn about going to work every day and getting up and grinding and working hard and coming home and like being stressed out and not having a way to do drugs and not needing to do drugs your alcohol or anything like that so it was it was a it's a really good model i like it and all that matters is that it worked for you yeah absolutely so how's life treating you now that you're sober nowadays it's good uh it's actually great I, um sitting here okay so i started the program june 5th 2018 and then it's a two-year program um after 21 months of being in the program which would be uh march it was in March of 2020. So at 21 months, you have a decision to make where you can either stay on in the program even longer if you want and become a postgraduate, which means you continue to be like a resident in the program, but you just have like a little bit more responsibility and they start giving you a stipend. It's like, I think it's like a hundred dollars a month. Like you get a cell phone, they pay for your cell phone. I mean, you got your food, your housing, your clothing, everything comes from them. So they, and they give you some like, kind of like walking around money, I guess you would say yeah. to stay on, if you want to stay on there and you need more time to heal. So, I mean, you got to think a lot of us, you know, been doing what we were doing out on the, you know, before we got sober for what, you know, 10, 15, even longer sometimes years. And it takes a lot of, a long time to like rewire your brain for some people, I guess. So they give you the opportunity at 21 months to stay in the program or you can go and work out, which means they get you a cell phone and they provide you transportation. You still live on campus and they take you like as far as uh, the transportation, like they'll take you back and forth to your job within a 25 mile radius. So you start actually working and making money and they provide you with a place to live. So everything you make, your check, you turn into them after three months. So the 21, 20, like through the 21 to 24 months, you accumulate, you know, three months worth of, worth of like money that you've been, you know, at this job for however long or for three months. So at the end of it, they give you all your checks. So you have like a little nest egg once you're done. So that was really cool. I took advantage of that. I went on workout. I did that from March till June. And I was working at a moving company. Um, the one I was telling you about whenever we were doing moves to Manhattan and stuff like that. It was super cool. Yeah. But um, I worked, <clears throat> I stayed there for the three months, I got my checks, and then they offer transitional housing afterwards. So you can stay at one of, they have different properties around Durham as well. So I stayed in their transitional housing program for a whole nother year, years that I was already in the program. So it was like $300 a month to live there. It's still with people that you know, it's still a safe place. Like you get drug tested, you know, things like that. So it was just a little bit more accountability and a little bit more structure instead of just like completely just going, I didn't want to go back to where I was from clearly. Like 
it's just too many bad memories and things like that. So I stayed in the transitional for an entire year while I was in the program. They did, uh, they train you to get your CDLs if you want them. There's a bunch of different opportunities. Like you can go to the Durham Technical Community College. Um, you're required to get your GED, your high school diploma, things like that. So there's a lot of opportunities, but I took the route of getting my class A commercial driver's license. So that's what I did. I was working um, at the moving company for that almost the entire year of being in transitional housing. So from June 5th, 2020 until uh, it was about March of 2021 is when I left transitional and I got a, I found a roommate where I was just renting out a room from her and I started driving a truck over the road, like an 18 wheeler. So I started doing that and you know, I, I felt like I was comfortable enough to be out and even isolated at times, you know, being in the truck by myself. A lot of the other guys in the program, they did that. We would talk to each other every day, kind of hold each other accountable, see how each other's doing. Um, just being out on the road, it was kind of isolating, but I was ready for it. You know, like I have been prepared for it at this point. So I did that <clears throat> up until uh like I'm in, until March 1st of this last year, honestly. So I did that for like two, two and a half years, something like that. And in between that time, I met a girl who was actually from my hometown and she was living here in Conway and I met her and her daughter and things escalated really quickly. We fell in love, you know, we moved in together. We rented a house together for the past or up until well, this past year, a year ago, we bought our first house together, basically. So a year before that, we rented together and, you know, just got, we got engaged. So ever since the program, like, uh, held down the same job, stayed sober, um, met a girl that I'll be married to next month. Um, I'm a father figure to her daughter. I'm super proud of that, that, she, you know, that I'm even a part of somebody's life like that, that somebody trusts me to be that example, you know, and I take a, that responsibility like very seriously that, cause I know what kind of person I used to be. And so I know what kind of people are in the world, you know, so now I get an opportunity to be an example to her of how a man is supposed to act and how a man is supposed to treat a woman, you know, like her mother as well as her. So that's cool. Um, everything's great, man. I just got an actual like, the company I was working for, the trucking company that I was working for, they didn't offer benefits or anything like that. It was just kind of like you just work for them, you get paid uh, a certain amount per mile. And now the job that I took here recently, like it, it gets me home. I'm home every night now. Before I wasn't, I was on the road for you know a week at a time, and I would get home maybe on the weekends. And now I get to be home every night and enjoy the house that we have together. Enjoy seeing her go play softball. You know, she does like. Uh, play practice, you know, things like that. Just actually getting to be here and enjoy life. So everything is super great, man. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Thanks. Sounds like you've come a long way since getting sober. I I promise I have, man. <laughs> it, you know, it, it still it still blows me away. Like like just to, just to see where I'm sitting now compared to where I was at almost five years ago. You know? Yeah. So. It's a big deal. That's a long time. And that's a big deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. So did you have anything else you wanted to chat about before we get going? No, no. Good. If you I are, I, say, just, uh, I mean, 
I mean, I do want to say, like, as far as if there's anybody out there listening, if, if they're interested in that program, if I can give that program a shout out at that school. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, it's TROSA. It's Triangle Residential Options for Substance Abusers. And you can look at their website. It's TROSA.org. Um, that's in Durham, North Carolina. Like, I don't, I don't get like I guess I don't get paid by them or anything, but I, I truly owe that place like my life. You know, even if you're not addicted to drugs and alcohol, like it's a good place to go and get like completely reset because you just, you get a restart on your life there. The only thing I tell people, like I know two years is a long commitment, but the only thing you're really walking away from is all your stress and all your problems. You're leaving it kind of behind you for a little while and getting your mind right. So you can go back out and take on that stress or, you know, just get away from it altogether. So pretty cool place for sure. Yeah. Sounds like it. All right, my friend. So let's get going here. I just want to say once again, thank you so much for doing this. Really means a lot. I loved hearing your story and I appreciate you opening up to us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. All right, my friend, sit tight. And for yes, everyone sir. watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. And speaking of literature, we do have a book due out. I thought it was going to be the end of this month. We're talking next month now. So I'll keep you updated as far as the release date of the book. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of essays I've written as well as people's personal stories of addiction and recovery. So I really want to thank everyone for watching and listening and until next time.